This morning's reading is from Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 45. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. The word of the Lord. In this series, we want to draw to attention draw to attention the fact that Jesus is wanting to do life with you and with me and, and, and with all of us, from the littlest to the oldest. And as we look at the ways Jesus is calling us to walk out our life with him, I believe the more this life will make sense. And we will actually understand what is written in John 10, 10, I have come to give you life and life to the full. This is the amazing blessing that we have as Christians, that we have an almighty God who is willing to do life with us, willing to actually go with us day in and day out, just be with us. No matter the circumstance and no matter what is happening, we have a God who is always present with us. And I think sometimes, if we're honest, we can overlook this. At least I know I can from time to time. And, and do you guys mind if I get a little vulnerable this morning? If I share a little bit about what's going on in my life. For the past few weeks, I've been struggling with what I like to call a me mentality. It's a mentality that says things are busy, things are rushed, and, and i got to get my stuff done and, and pull myself through it. And I think it's a trap that we can fall into for sure. And oh boy, did I ever fall into it. And a repercussion of doing so is that all of a sudden this life that we as Christians are called to do and, and, and live with God and just be with him, all of a sudden our life becomes a lot less dependent on God and a lot more dependent on me and the people around me to keep my life going. And I lose focus on Jesus. And it's almost like a Christian flu. It strikes us when we're weak. It strikes, it strikes us when we're stressed. And it takes us out until we start to get some care and rest for our soul. Let me elaborate. A healthy Christian has a healthy and right dependency on Christ. 
And they also have healthy spiritual practices in their life. This is not a you should do it. It's a you must do it if you're following Jesus. We must be spending time in his word. We must be seeking God first above everything else and above everyone else. We must be depending on him And because of these spiritual practices, we're going to start to have these amazing spiritual gifts, these amazing fruits of the Spirit in our life, like peace, patience, and kindness. And you can go through all of them. They all fit. That's what happens when we have a healthy spiritual life. And then this flu hits, and all of a sudden, you're depending on yourself. And you're depending on the people around you. And and you're spending too much time on selfish things. Life is too busy, and you hear, uh, and, and sorry, life is too busy, and you're stressed out, and because that you're, because of that, you're impatient, and your mood stinks, and you swear if you hear that one person one more time, you're going to lose it, because life becomes unmanageable, and I wonder if that's because you've lost sight of your true manager. I wonder if we were to raise our hands here today, if how many of us would to say that describes us this morning? Or at least some of it describes us. Maybe you'd say you have some flu symptoms, but not the flu yet. Regardless, I I think just like back in our passage, I wonder if Jesus has something to say to you today, to us today. Would you join me in praying and inviting God to speak to us this morning? God, I think for for a lot of us, we come before you right now, and if we're honest, we're a little sick. We have some of the symptoms that were described, or, or maybe even some other ones that we didn't even talk about. But God, you know all of those things, and you're still present with us. You don't leave us when all of a sudden we're not doing what we're supposed to do. You are still right there in the middle of it, calling us. God, so you are are present, you are hearing us. I praise you that there is nothing that we can do that will separate you from us. Your word is so clear that you are seeking us and that that you love us even when we are at our worst. You sought us out. And so God, we come today before you knowing that you are here, you are always with us, that you love us, that you want to speak to us just as we are. And so as we're about to get into your word, I pray that you will ready our hearts, Father. I pray that you will prepare our mind to receive what you are going to say. I pray that you will soften, soften our hearts to shape and mold under your loving care. And I pray that you will help us to recover and place you as King and Lord of our life today and always. God, speak. Your, your servants are ready to receive. Amen. Today our passage looks at at Jesus, and in in particular, if you caught the title, it it is looking at how he wants to meet us as our Messiah. When we look at the word Messiah, there's probably two common meanings that we hear, that we know, and, and, and maybe for some of us, we know this intuitively. It's not something that we've ever really been told or taught. But the first one is kind of an obvious one in, in historical context. Jesus was supposed to be and is the promised deliverer of the Jewish nation. 
That is what a Messiah is supposed to be, the promised deliverer of the Jewish, Jewish nation, and, and Jesus was that. And the second is a savior of a person or group. And I love the fact that Jesus is known as the Messiah. When we read scripture, so many people that talk to him and see him, see him only as the deliverer of Israel. And that's what they go for him to. They're like, when are you going to save us from the Romans? You're here now, and, and so your role is to deliver us. So deliver us from them. Help us be the nation. And through that, they miss out on the fact that he is wanting to also be their Messiah, their Savior and Lord. If you'd like to join me in your Bibles, or if you want to read it on the screen, that's fine too. We're going to pick back up in Mark chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be starting this time in verse 21. Uh, it's a little bit of a longer passage, and so I've broken it up today. And uh, we'll just go through and kind of uh, detail it a little bit as we go. I want you to keep in mind what I just said, that we will be looking at Jesus and, and, and how he is wanting to be the Savior of these people. He is going to meet them on an unexpected level. So keep that in your mind as we go through this. Uh, starting in verse 21. Jesus and his companions went to a town of Capernaum. This, uh, when the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. And at that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. This passage here, it picks up off the passage of our previous week. So Jesus, before this, he, he just went and recruited James and John as the newest disciples. And it is here that we see them see Jesus as teacher, it's the first time they really start to hear Jesus teach. And this passage starts with them on the holy day, their, their, their Sunday or church day. And Jesus is teaching in a synagogue, a temple or a church. The people are simply amazed at the teaching that Jesus is doing, for he is doing it with authority. And how incredible it would have been to actually hear Jesus teach. Every time Jesus speaks to people, they have an immediate reaction and their lives are changed in one way or another. And I also find it amazing that they even call Jesus casting out a demon a form of teaching. This blows my mind that they equate the two. I mean, how good is Jesus' teaching that they compare casting out a demon with when he speaks and teaches? pretty remarkable. The fact that the two are compared, I believe it calls to attention just how good Jesus is at teaching. I mean, he's like the Messiah of teaching. <laughs> Go with me on this. I know it's a little bit silly, but Jesus is the savior of the teachings of the law or the word of God. 
His teachings are so good that he puts the other teachers to shame. I think this is the case because they're comparing Jesus with their usual teachers who would have been the Pharisees. The Pharisees know the law for sure. They got it down. They probably even know how to speak a compelling case for whatever they're speaking on. But Jesus differs in one great way. Did you catch it when we were reading the passage? Mark says he taught with real authority. What is the real authority that he's teaching with? Jesus teaches in word and deed. The people Jesus taught saw that he not only had the knowledge and power in speaking, but when it came to a test in his metal, he had power over a demon and he was able to cast it out. Jesus, in other words, was the real deal. And when you compare the lives of the Pharisees versus Jesus, what we see according to Scripture is a stark contrast. The Pharisees taught a life of purity. They, they taught a life of selflessness. But then went on to live a life opposite to what they were actually teaching. Whereas Jesus lived out what he taught. The comparison between the two could not be more different. This is why when Jesus is teaching and he's living his life, people are in such amazement. They have not seen something like this before. Jesus is who he says he is. There's no qualms about it. There is no doubt as to why news begins to spread all over the region because of his teaching and this encounter that we just read. So the first takeaway from today is this. Jesus shows us he's the Messiah in teaching and deed because he lives out what he preaches. Let's now look at our first application found in this point. It's very simply this. We need to live out what we believe. We must live out what we believe. Living what we preach is a hard thing to do, but it honestly shows the genuine nature of the speaker when we can see the life they live match what they say. If you had a friend who all they ever talked about was healthy eating and living this like fitness lifestyle and yet you're having this conversation over McDonald's as he like just upsized his meal and he's like chowing down and he's like, yeah, you just got to stay fit. You got to get out there. You got to lift weights and you got to eat clean. You got to eat healthy foods. Something wouldn't be adding up. It wouldn't make sense as to what he's saying. And the same is true for us as Christians. When we choose to follow Jesus, when we say that we identify with him as, as Christians, Christ followers, we agreed to go on mission with him in this world. So when we are living a life that says we don't have him as manager, Lord of our life, what does the world see? What does the people around us see? What does our family and our friends see? They see someone who isn't living the life they say they have. And so our application from Jesus being the Messiah of teaching is this. We need to live out what we preach and preach who we say we live for. I'll say that one more time because I really love it, honestly. I wrote it and I'm like, ooh, that's convicting. <laughs> we need to live out what we preach and preach who we say we live for. 
Let's continue in our passage, looking at verses 23 to 27 in particular. These passages detail Jesus casting out this evil spirit. And it's, it's interesting that we don't even get to know who this man is, nor is he, in fact, other, like, really described in any great, de- great detail other than he is a man who is possessed by an evil spirit. That's our detail of this guy. But through that little detail and what the spirit says, we actually get a great deal of information. We find out that this spirit knew who Jesus really was. He knew it. He didn't, Jesus didn't have to tell him who he was. He didn't come in there, kick in the door like the Kool-Aid man. Oh yeah, I'm the son of God. Like, no. He just is who he is. He's Jesus. And this spirit knows who he is. And in fact, he actually identifies who Jesus is before everyone. And he really actually does a great deal of service through that, in a sense. Let's reread this encounter, starting at the end of verse 23. The evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Mark, in his gospel, regularly calls demons impure spirits and and referring to them as the epitome of all that is evil and unclean in the world. He characterizes them as opposite of Jesus. They are fallen angels, and they know exactly who Jesus is. As James says in 2 verse 19, the demons believe and shudder. They play their role as opponents of God on a team which is already lost. The evil spirits hear Jesus, and the horrible realization dawns on them that Jesus, oh, he's starting his mission in the world. And this demon unknowingly gives convincing evidence as to who Jesus is, and he declares him God. It's powerful, actually. Jesus, not wanting to unveil his purpose and plan, commands the demon to silence and orders him out, which the demon has to obey. And we see this man freed from this spirit. Again, we see Jesus be the Messiah of mankind through the release of this evil spirit on the man. Jesus came to save and free all of mankind, every man, every woman. And we see this again later on in the passage when he actually leaves Galilee to go and see Simon's mother-in-law in in order to heal her from being bedridden with a high fever. Let's quickly read that passage. It's found in verses 29 to 31. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. Jesus goes with the disciples to Simon and Andrew's home. And and I love that Simon took Jesus to see his mother-in-law. I think it probably took a lot of courage for Simon to do this. Probably took a lot of belief that Jesus was for real. Simon probably put himself out there if we're honest. 
He invites Jesus not only to his life, not only just to follow him, but he invites Jesus into his life, into his raw reality. It's easier sometimes to have our friends or even people that we look up to on the fringe of our life, not really investing and opening up fully. But Simon opens himself to have Jesus be a part of all his life. Even the parts where there is stress, even the parts where there is uncertainty and worry, Simon takes a big leap. I mean, how would it look if Jesus didn't heal her? Or, or would Jesus, maybe Simon was wondering, is, is Jesus going to be upset if I invite him to do this miracle after he's just done one? Is Jesus going to think that I'm challenging him? I think we also have a lot of fears and uncertainty when it comes to Jesus. We want to trust him with our life, but what if he doesn't show up in the ways that we have read or in the ways that we have heard about? I think for some of us, we push Jesus to the sides of our life because we are afraid of what it will mean if we trust him with our everything. One thing that we learn pretty quickly about Jesus in Scripture is that he loves to heal the individual person regardless of what ails them. Whether it be a spiritual attack or whether it is a sickness, Jesus meets all of us where we're at and he challenges us to give him whatever we might be afflicted with. Jesus is our Messiah who has authority over everything including demons. He also, when it comes to us, as he does with Simon, he waits to be invited. He waits for an invitation to heal and restore. This is our second takeaway and application. Are you trusting Jesus to be your healer, to be your restorer? Are you willing to let him do the miracle-working nature that Jesus is about, whether for you or through you or for other people around you. Let's get into our last section of scripture this morning. Let's reread verses 35 to 45. Uh, We'll break just a little bit halfway and then we'll finish it. Just want to point out a couple things in the first part here. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him, and when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Two quick points uh, about this section before, like I said, we're going to continue on. In, in so many passages, including verse 35 in the Gospels, we read about Jesus actually going off to an isolated place to pray. And I cannot emphasize this enough. We need to be praying. And like actually praying, not sending quick like text-like prayers to God. We need to be actually seeking him out in the morning, in that quiet hour, or whenever you actually get a genuine quiet moment. We need to recover this for ourselves. Guys, it is so important to have a healthy prayer life for you, if no one else. But man, oh man, do we ever need to recover it for our families and for our church. 
We need and must set aside time to pray and get our lives in tuned with God. Prayer is our lifeline for Christians. There's no doubt about it. And without it, we should notice the effects of not praying in our life. As much as we would notice not drinking water in a day. It should be that much of a distinction when we're praying and when we're not praying. This is why we have prayer summits. We think it's so vital to pray together as a family, to pray together as a church family, to pray together as individuals. And I would really strongly challenge you and encourage you to make time tonight to come to prayer summit. Because we need to be praying together as a church. I believe God will move mountains in Terwilliger and in the southwest and in Edmonton if we actually start praying. Amen? Second, Jesus didn't come to just one place or group of people. He came to tell everyone that he was here and wanted to let everyone in on the good news. That he was here to be their Messiah. Not just Israel's Messiah, but each and every single one of us, our Messiah. Something that also speaks to how we should live our lives as Christians. We are called to share the good news wherever we go at every opportunity possible. Let's continue in our, in our verses and finish up. Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleaned. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. This is the last section, the last few verses in Mark chapter 1. And in it, we get this beautiful healing of a man with leprosy. This disease is one of the worst ones. We read about it in scripture, and it not only affects the person with the disease, but it affects their family, their friends, and their entire community. The person, the person afflicted becomes an outcast and must not touch or even get too close to anyone else. The loss the person experiences is so tremendous. They lose shelter, home, family, community, and probably even their self. In the Old Testament times, there is such a priority on being clean. There were rules about being clean, even an entire book written about it, which is Leviticus. At least the majority of Leviticus is talking about being ritually clean. The book details the understanding of how to be clean. And for a person of leprosy, it was deemed that these people were of the most defiled of being unclean. How incredible is it then? 
that when Jesus hears his faith, the faith of this leper who cries out to God, heal me, that Jesus doesn't just say, okay, you're healed. He reaches out instead and and touches him. He actually reaches out. and, and, And he gets down on the same level as him and touches him. Something that probably was not experienced by that man for some time. And especially not something he experienced by someone who was deemed as clean. Probably even clean people didn't even talk to him. Didn't even want to go near him. And so Jesus touching him, reaching down, identifying with this man... How intense the love that Jesus has for his children. Leprosy is a disease from the Old Testament and the New Testament, which back then could only be cured by God. It is a disease even that we are still dealing with this today, but thank God that we have medicine and doctors who are actually healing this disease. But this disease, it eats away at the nerves. It causes you to lose all sensation in the afflicted parts, and it is a very contagious disease. Something else I find so amazing and interesting about leprosy is this. Leprosy is the best illustration of sin's destructive power in Bible times. God had given the Israelites very specific instructions on how to deal with leprosy. In Leviticus chapter 13, not a short chapter, by the way, God walks through how to deal, treat, what to do if someone gets contaminated with leprosy, and what to do if people are actually claiming to be healed with leprosy. And it also talks about the sacrifices that must be made if you have leprosy. It's incredible, and even details what you do when you're, when you're afflicted and, and all of a sudden you're healed, there's all these steps that go through it and how to prove that you are fully healed and that you will not contaminate anyone else. This part in Mark's gospel of a man being healed of leprosy is not only an amazing miracle of God's healing power over disease, but it shows us just how powerful and loving a Messiah that we have in Christ Jesus. The key lesson, as I said before, to be learned from this incident is that sin actually defiles us. It makes us completely unclean. And because of sin, we have to be kept away from God. Sin defiles us in the sight of God. But through Christ, we can be healed of the plague of sin that separates us from God. You see, God loathes sin. It is repulsive to him. Sin bans us from the presence of God because God will not allow sinful man in his sight and presence. All sin is abhorrent to God, but those who have been redeemed from sin by the grace through faith in Christ Jesus can stand in the God's presence in full confidence that we are accepted in the beloved. And we praise him for the grace that he extends us for that purpose. 
When we've captured the glimpse of the holiness and purity of God, we have to exclaim as the prophet did in Isaiah 6 verse 5, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Another key lesson that we learn from the leper is that the lep- we need to do just as the leper did. We can confidently approach Jesus in all our need with all our sin and defilement. When we plead for cleansing and forgiveness, he will not turn us away. That's found in Hebrews 4.16. We have a God who meets us and welcomes us in. We have Jesus who is our Messiah. One which should cause us to sing and praise and worship him because he is so worthy of all our praises and worship and of everything that we possibly could do to sing his praises. This is our last application which I hope we will all take to heart. Jesus is our Messiah who meets us where we need him to meet us. So the question left for us is, will you live for Jesus? And will you live with him? This is the powerful message that is the good news. The good news must and needs be shared For our Messiah, he's still alive. He didn't die on Calvary. He didn't get defeated. He rose and conquered. He has power over sickness. He has power over demons, over sin, and even death. His power is still as readily available now as it was back then. Do you believe it? Praise God. Hallelujah. Our Lord lives. Amen? So whether you find yourself sick or sick with sin, I encourage you to run to Jesus. Declare his promises. He is so faithful to forgive and heal us. And I trust, and this has been my prayer throughout this whole sermon, is that you will find yourself encouraged to walk with Jesus today and to continue walking with him throughout the rest of your life. Because how could you possibly Live a better life than to live it with Jesus, who is your Messiah. Let's pray. God, you're, you're so good to us. God, we, we know that we are not deserving of your love, and, and, and yet, you pour it out on us. God, I, I, I pray that for each and every single one of us here in this place, Lord God, and in your church, of Trewilliger Community Church. That we would know just how much you love us. That you chose, when we were yet still sinners, to come and die for us. You chose for us life. Even though we chose sin, which led to death. And so, God, I pray that that powerful message of your healing and redeeming, loving power would conquer all the things that are laying on our heart heavy tonight or today. I pray for each and every single one of us that we would come to know you as our own personal and Savior. 
That we would, we would start walking out our faith more, not because it's the right thing to do, but because it's the only thing to do. Because this world needs you desperately like we desperately need you. God, we love you so much. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the fact that you are willing to meet us where we are. You don't wait for us to get better. You don't wait for us to stop sinning or anything else. You come to us in our most hour of need and say, I choose you. God, you are so worthy of all worship and praise. We love you. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.